Hey everyone, it's James and welcome to the Notorious Banker Podcast. As of right now, 2,871 amazing followers at Bank Better Guy on Twitter, dozens more at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, where for as little as a $1 subscription, you can help me, the Notorious Banker, fight back against big banks for the little guy. Guys, once again, thank you so very much for the support. I do appreciate it. Thanks again to all the new followers who have found me in the in the eye of the hurricane here of CEO of Wells Fargo, Charles Sharp's co- comments about the limited amount of talent in the African-American pool at Wells Fargo. Of course, that blew up like crazy last week. And I'm really appreciative of you guys finding my podcast. And I'll be honest with you, it was probably the most important story that I've covered on the podcast in a while. You know, it had been kind of dull. The dog days of summer were happening in freaking mid-September for me. And I churn out podcasts and I always have something to talk about. There's always something interesting in the Notorious Bankers world to talk about. Uh, But when I saw the CEO's comments and I saw um, Imani's um, post on Reuters... I just knew that it was bad, but then when it blew up, it really blew up. Um, It blew up so much so that I actually got suspended from Twitter for a day and a half um, this week. And it was an enlightening moment. Here's the thing. I actually got suspended from Twitter because of my excessive posts about the Wells Fargo situation. And as you know, this is my wheelhouse. If you've listened to the Notorious Banker podcast before, uh, talking about racism, talking about inequality in banking, that's kind of where I'm at with a lot of my podcasts. Now, it wasn't a, uh, a path that I chose. It kind of chose me. It just seemed to you know, figure that a lot of things that were happening had to do with this topic, had to do with lack of advancement for employees or a bad customer service for certain types of customers. It was really frustrating. And you know, every podcast seemed to kind of have a, have a tinge of that. And then it just finally came to the realization. It's like, I, I have to talk about this all the time. Because this is something that is going on and we see it. You know, when I say we, I say people of color. And I am frustrated by it as a former banker and as a customer. And I just really decided that, you know what, if I'm going to go all in on the Notorious Banker podcast, formerly known as Wire Bank Sucks, I have to go all in and I have to talk about these things because they're uncomfortable topics to talk about. And I think that's why a lot of people don't talk about them. So I said, what the hell? I'm going to do it. But because of that, I got suspended last week from Twitter for a little bit. And it was because I was getting a little too emotional. I was getting a little too rah-rah for the cause. You know, there were so many people who were supportive of the fact that, um, of course, they believe that the Wells Fargo CEO is full of shit. And there are plenty of diverse candidates out there for executive roles in banking. And I could attest to that just from my experience working at Bank of America. I was the rah-rah person for that. And, of course, I was leading people to my podcast. I was leading people to my Twitter account and my my Patreon and everything. So it got kind of repetitive, and I think that was one part of it. But one of the posts that I did on Tuesday night was I was furious, and I was furious at Shar for making those comments. So I tweeted out a screenshot of Wells Fargo's corporate address along with an email address, and it was like charles.sharf at wellsfargo.com. And I said, email him, tell him how much he sucks because of these comments that he made, and tell him that you shouldn't bank there again. And according to, according to Twitter, they said I was bullying. Now here's the thing, okay, when you're the CEO of a publicly traded company, just like you're the President of the United States, just like you're the Governor of New Mexico or whatever state that you're in, 
you're fair game, okay? If I'm a shareholder of Wells Fargo and you say some shit like that and you're possibly impacting my pocketbook, you damn better believe that I'm going to call you out on it. I'm not looking to harm the stock price here. I'm looking to call out what I see as um, comments that were right on the money, unfortunately, where there was a lot of a lot of underlying discrimination involved in those things. And and he did mention it in a in a in an apology you know the day later and I'll get to that later on in the podcast. So if he's admitting it and saying it and I'm saying hey I want I want customers I want people to email this Charles at wellsfargo.com and let him know how much he sucks. Well, I just want that to be symbolic. I don't want him to get threats. So I don't want him to do anything like that. It's I don't I don't want that. I don't want anything like that. And shame on you if you think that way. To be quite frank with you. But here's the thing, okay? First of all, charles.sharf at wellsfargo.com, although it's probably a real email address and it was on their corporate website, do you think he's just fucking walking around with his cell phone looking at his outlook and looking, oh, hey, James Baca sent a message. Gee, I wonder what it could be. No, he's not doing that. He's not looking at his email. Brian Moynihan, CEO of Bank of America, does not look at his email. They have lackeys for this shit. They have AAs, administrative assistants. They have all these people doing that, and they forward it. Hey, this one's for you, Brian. This is from your alma mater. This one is from some charity. This one is from this and that. There's people that divvy this up. So did did I think that the CEO of Wells Fargo was going to get these emails and go... Oh, wow, John Smith in Denver, Colorado really doesn't like what I'm doing. No, fuck no, he's not going to do that. He doesn't care, so what the hell does it matter? Symbolism is one thing that we need to do more of sometimes in order just to show people that, hey, we're not going anywhere, you know? Um, and if people chose to write Charles Sharp from the, the Twitter post that I did, well, then cool. At least they're getting emotional enough to want to do something about it instead of just sulking. And that's the thing. And, and I grew up like that, too. Okay, I have an amazing family, amazing parents, grandparents and what have you. But whenever they were bullied, whenever the system kind of screwed them over, whenever it beat them down to the point to where, you know, they couldn't pay the bills or they had to move out of a house. My mom had to move out of a uh, public housing because of technicality i remember that um you know you sit around and think about it and go man if my mom only stuck up for herself you know for the public housing people if if she would have a thicker skin if she would be tougher maybe things would have been a little bit better when i was younger i got hired at the bank i was shy i didn't know how to defend myself whenever a boss would railroad me i would take it but whenever i finally decided hey this customer needs help or this is what i think or this is my opinion on this I finally had to say screw it and learn how to take a chance and learn how to not be afraid, okay? And and that was my thing, was to stick up for what's right. And sending an email to Charles Sharp is sticking up what for what's right. Period. End of story. If some people took the opportunity to see my post and to write him, then I think that's great. I think that if they were actually legit customers, and if you're not a customer of Wells Fargo and you just wanted to just pile on, that's another thing. And then, like I said, shame on you at that point. But if you're an affected customer, someone who got affected with a feed, if you're an affected employee about what's going on in the world and you didn't get a promotion because of this and that, why shouldn't you um, send an email to the CEO I mean, it's 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 your duty to do that. It's your duty to make sure that, hey, you know what? I want to be recognized too. Whenever you work in banking, all you care about is, hey, I want them to say, James did a good job. And whenever you're a customer, I want to hear, hey, I'm more than just a number to you. I'm more than just a, a decimal point and a dollar sign in my bank account. 
So I'm really, I'm really hopeful that some people took advantage of it, although that was part of me getting suspended in Twitter on Wednesday. The second part of it, and that was another tweet that I had to delete, literally happened about an hour before I um, got suspended. And someone in Oklahoma was tweeting about a horrible Bank of America experience. And this person was um, from a local radio station in Oklahoma. And they were mentioning something that I knew that I could help with. My vigilante customer service could help with. But I was at the point in time with Wells Fargo and everything going on that day that I wasn't inclined to be as thorough as I usually would. And shame on me for that. Um, So I sent a screenshot with some contact information from someone in Oklahoma that works for Bank of America. And I posted it to her Twitter post. And I replied to her Twitter post with this image of this email address. And that was another tweet that I had to delete once I got reinstated. They mentioned that sharing this information was tantamount to kind of bullying Bank of America and bullying Wells Fargo, which I think is just totally freaking stupid and ridiculous. And uh, once I got suspended, I didn't even know that I got suspended. I hit refresh. And my internet's been kind of wonky from time to time here. That's why you haven't seen a lot of videos the last few weeks. Although I'm getting back into the thick of things after this amazing week that we've had with Wells. Um, it's been kind of weird. So whenever I hit refresh, it wasn't refreshing. So I just chalked it up to the internet being stupid again. And then I exited out of all my apps and I went to Twitter and it said zero followers. I'm like, oh my God, this is the end, brother. This is the end. (laughs) I was so scared. And then I went to my, um, I refreshed it and it talked about that I was currently suspended. Go to twitter.com for the reasons why. And it wasn't giving me anything on my phone, so I went to my desktop computer. And it still didn't give me the reason why at that point in time. It just said, do you want to appeal your suspension? So I appealed it, and I said, I um, probably went a little over the top with Wells Fargo. I probably did about 500 posts. But there was 80,000 people who tweeted about it. 80,000 people who tweeted about Wells Fargo Tuesday going into Wednesday. And what I did was a drop in the bucket. So... I said, yes, maybe I did do that, but I was not disrespectful. I rarely used bad language. I cited facts. I referred people to websites to learn more about certain things. I was very thorough and very detailed in my appeal because I really wanted them to see that if I was going to be, quote, you know, the subject of harassment as the reason for suspension, I wanted to say, hey, this is a publicly traded company. This isn't an individual we're bullying here. This is a billion dollar system. And I wrote this huge detailed thing on the appeal and I hit submit, not knowing what, whether or not to expect something right away. I was thinking in maybe a week, I was thinking it might be two weeks. I didn't know. And um, just the conversations that I've had with people about trying to get verified on Twitter or whenever they got suspended accidentally or something, it just seemed like a lost cause. So I'm already trying to plan a contingency with my other Twitter account. And it was just scary. I couldn't I couldn't follow anyone. I couldn't even look at my DMs. And the DM thing, it was going to be death for me. I have something like 6,000 DMs that I carry. And all of them have detailed conversations about how I've helped people, what I've done. I have some reporters there that I've talked to. A couple of my B of A insiders are in my DMs as well. It has a lot of important data. And maybe I shouldn't say this in the podcast, but oh my god, if I were ever to get hacked, it would just be totally shitty. And I would just hate it. 
So I didn't have access to all that. So I told my wife I, I didn't want her to see something was bothering me and ask me, hey, what is wrong? And I, I just didn't want that. So I just said, hey, you know what? I got suspended and I don't know what I did, but I'm appealing it and this is what's going on. Because Twitter is my lifeblood. Twitter is the only thing that keeps the Notorious Banker Project ticking because it's a running commentary about what's going on in the banking world that I could reach tens of thousands, if not millions of people every single day. And, and it's important for me to have it along with this podcast. So I tried to kind of just go out of sight, out of mind. I started doing some cleaning around the house. I started doing other things that I've needed to do, you know. And then we went to the grocery store and we came back and I hit refresh on my Twitter. And all of a sudden I had six followers and it was a couple of people that I knew really well on my uh, friend list there. So I DM'd one of them. I said, hey, can you see this DM? And I said, um, Twitter suspend me and I don't know what's going on. Can you see my tweets? And they said, yeah, I could see your tweets. It was like I was on the other side of the afterlife or something. It was ridiculous. And it was this thing where I thanked her. I said, thank you so much for looking because I don't know what's going on, but I really hope it gets fixed because this is literally the biggest story of the year, the Wells Fargo thing, and we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. And about two hours later, it went from one follower to four to six to seven, and then went back down to three again for some reason. And then it went back to 2,850, whatever. And I was like, okay, I dodged a bullet there. Then I got an email from Twitter apologizing for my suspension, saying it was incorrectly imposed on me. But they did said we would like for you to delete these tweets in order to continue on Twitter. And it listed two tweets, and it was the two that I mentioned to you. It was the Wells Fargo screenshot of Charles Sharp's email address. And it was an email address for a Bank of America executive in Oklahoma that I had shared with a public figure that was a host of a radio station in Oklahoma. So go figure. I deleted those. There's probably about a couple of hundred more that I should delete in my 50,000 plus tweet repertoire here. But I'll get to that down the road. Um, frankly, this is an eye-opening experience for me with my project because I don't want to ever lose this um, this platform, Twitter has become the most important social media to me, even more than Facebook. I can't believe I'm saying that. Um, but it really has. It's changed my life. It's allowed me to connect to people who have gone through issues with big banks, and I really want to continue this the way that I'm doing so. Because when my book comes out and when this podcast blows up even more than it has in the last couple of weeks, I need to have that platform on Twitter because I need you, the listener, the follower, to see exactly the good that the Notorious Banker is doing with Twitter. And we're changing the game. We're doing customer service the likes of which even the biggest bank has ever seen. We, we engage people. We show people how to be empowered with information and show them how to get their money back, show them how to avoid fees, show them how to bank better. That's why my freaking name is Bank Better Guy and my project is the Notorious Banker. So Wells Fargo Bank of America, you can you can complain all you want to Twitter about the Notorious Bankers Project. The proof is in the pudding. I am here to legitimately help customers. I have proof. I have documented proof. I have talked to reporters. I really want to get this story out to the media. I really want to get my book out for the world to see because I have worked tirelessly for going on two years now to show you what a good banker can do if he is just given time and if he gives his effort. He can move mountains. 
the 66 million people that Bank of America calls a customer and the 30-plus-some-odd million people that Wells Fargo call their customers are being underrepresented by customer service representatives in their area who say that they are there to help them. Well, my God, they are not there to help them. They are there to get sales, sales, sales. I'm not here to sell you anything other than my commitment to you that I am going to work my ass off to get your money back from a big bank, to fight for you whenever something unjust happens, and to help you bank better. That's frankly what I'm here for. So Twitter, thank you so much for apologizing for my suspension. Thank you so much for allowing me to delete those tweets to allow me to continue being bank better guy on Twitter. And thank you so much for allowing me to continue this project where... I impact the lives of dozens of people every single day, and I think it's really the coolest thing in the world that I can do. If I can be successful and make a career out of this, I'm going to do so. So I thank you, Twitter, for giving me that opportunity to prove my worth. And I promise you, when my book is out, when my project gets a little bit bigger, my worth is going to be there because I am going to engage in a Twitter base that is going to be unlike any other that the banking world has seen. We're going to have snarky, informed clients who know how to bank better and who also know how to call out big banks and their bullshit. And we're getting there every single day here at the Notorious Banker at Bank Better Guy on Twitter and at Patreon.com slash Notorious Banker. Follow me on all my socials, kids. Follow me anywhere you can find me. Trust me when I say I'm a changed man. I went from egotistical banker to devoted husband to devoted pillar of the community i know it sounds like i'm tooting my own freaking horn saying that but you know what i really think that the banking community is underrepresented and i'm here to help in any way period end of story this intro has gone on way too freaking long all i can say is suspension is over bank of america wells fargo screw you i am back today's podcast we've got a few things we want to talk about one of them is going to be ceo charles charles sharf's um, second apology, he did two apologies in two days. One was kind of an asshole, yeah, I'm sorry if you're offended. And another one where he totally throws himself under the bus, so we'll get to that in a second. Um, I have a cute little story, um, it's not really cute necessarily, but a lot of my female co-workers called him a cute older man. It's a gentleman by the name of Ben, and with all that's going on in election season, of course Trump v. Biden, uh, the contested races in the Senate and the House... The Supreme Court thing going on. I just had this Vietnam-like flashback of a very bad experience I had with a gentleman by the name of Ben, one of my older customers, and um, his love of politics, but also Bank of America's love of screwing the shit out of this 90-year-old man. And I'll get to a little fun story that I wanted to talk about uh, for a couple of days now because it just really, um, it just really came back to me after hearing all these politicians ask people for money. I'm going to tell you a really sad story, and this is indicative of our state here in New Mexico. So we'll get to that as well. Plus, I am going to um, tie this up with a bow with a commentary about what's going on with Bank of America. They announced, um, well, they didn't necessarily announce. They posted something on social media on Friday that talks about keeping your account and your information secure. And I guarantee you the first bullet point they mentioned was in direct reference, and I mean fucking direct reference to yours truly, the Notorious Banker, and the project that I do. Um, I'm going to laugh a little bit at the end of this podcast with that because it is just freaking ridiculous what they said and what they are kind of implying in that, and the fact that their social media is getting more annoying than ever. 
So after this brief motion consideration, I'll be back with one of these topics, so please stick around. Hey everyone, it's James, also known as the Notorious Banker, and I'm imploring you to join me on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. For as little as a $1 subscription, you can help join the Notorious Banker in his fight against big banks. Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, and City are constantly screwing over customers, and the Notorious Banker shows customers how to fight back against big banks, and in some cases get money returned into their bank accounts. I'm great at what I do. With Vigilante Customer Service, we have recouped almost $1.1 million in 16 short months. That comes from 13 years of managerial experience at a big bank, financial acumen, policy knowledge, product knowledge, and much more. The Notorious Banker is asking for your help for as little as $1 a month in order to continue the fight to keep this job going full-time and to help more customers. $2 a month gets you additional content. $5 a month gets you an electronic version of my book. $15 will get you a paperback, but at least $1 a month will help contribute to the good fight. Help the Notorious Banker today by subscribing to his Patreon, patreon.com slash Notorious Banker, and I really, really hope to see you there. Thank you so much. All right, everyone, I'm back with more Notorious Banker. Now, I tell a lot of stories about my time working at Bank of America. As I mentioned, I was a manager, and I worked at Bank of America for 13 years, with my last day being August 17, 2018. It was a Friday. It was 9 a.m. I was wearing a football jersey, yada, yada, yada. I've told you these things a million times. I can't forget about it, and maybe that's a psychosis. Maybe that's something in my brain that I need to get rid of. But, you know, getting fired on that day was my liberation day. It was my emancipation from this banking world that just totally screws the little guy, okay? And, you know, anyone can tell you, well, banks screw the little guy. I'm not breaking any news here. That's the fucking, the whole common sense argument that every person, any rational person has about the banking world. Where I come from is a little different, though. I'm from New Mexico, okay? New Mexico is a state of about 2 million people. A million of them are in the Albuquerque area. The other million are spread out in tiny communities that I grew up in in my 37 years of life. I live in Las Cruces, New Mexico, second biggest city, 110,000 people. The county has 200,000 people. It is not a small community by any means. All of the people remind me of a small community, and that's why I love this place. I just love it so much. Um, one of the greatest pleasures of working at Bank of America in uh, the decade that I was here in Las Cruces was the interactions I got to have with so many great clients and so many people remembered me. Whether they called me Mr. Banker or Mr. Baca or Mr. Bacon or Mr. Cow, um, my last name is Baca, which can derive from the, the Spanish word vaca, which means cow. So I've been called Mr. Cow before. To James, to Santiago, to Jaime, I've been called everything under the sun by my clients. But I fucking love those people with all my heart. They are just amazing people. 99% of them. 1% of them I can probably do without ever seeing again. But, I mean, that's life, right? We all have some people that we just rather not see again. I'm not big into politics, and I've mentioned this before on previous podcasts. I love election season, though. I think there's nothing cooler than election day, just uh, the tension, just all the results coming in, the speculation, the commentary. I I'm, I'm not picking sides anymore. I gave that shit up in my late 20s, but I just love watching it. I just do, okay? 
some background with me. My um, great aunt was a chair of a Republican committee in the state of New Mexico in the early 90s. We're talking 30 years ago. I was in first or second grade or whatever. I also have some family members who were very friendly with the Democratic governor of New Mexico um, in the early 2000s, Bill Richardson. I, I've, I've seen it all, okay? And New Mexico is one of those cool things where I have been an invited guest to a Bill Clinton rally when I was 15 years old. And then I was um, at a George W. Bush rally when I was 19 years old. I was still trying to find myself when it came to politics and stuff like that. And I got into it on both sides for a little bit because my brain changed, you know. The way that I think thought about stuff went from one way at 15 to one way at 19 to one way at 21 to one way at 25. And then by the time I hit my late 20s and I started paying actual bills, I honestly said I really do not care anymore. The And, and this is probably not the commentary to have um with this segment of the podcast here um i actually have invited three non-profit organizations to advertise on my podcast in the run-up to the election and you'll probably hear them in between segments here but i just got to the point where i was like i'm in new mexico this place is poor i don't think anything's ever going to change here for the better you know people say that thing about mississippi and alabama too well i feel that way about new mexico i just became really cynical and in my late 20s, I kind of gave up politics and just thinking about stuff like that in a biased way, whether it's Republican or Democrat. I was like, you know, I, I really don't care. I just want to live my life. I want to wake up and work and pay my bills. I sound like my mom when I say that. It's freaking weird, but it's true. I, I just I stopped caring. I voted. I vote all the time. And you should vote, too. And those PSAs that you're hearing in between my podcast. It's telling you to go vote and look up these websites and talk about these topics that mean a lot to a lot of people. They may not mean much to me anymore, but they mean a shit ton to people in this country. And my God, you're an American. Go vote. Learn about your country. Learn about what can happen if this and that happen. And and enlighten yourself and make a conscious decision to vote no matter who you're voting for. Because a person who, who casts their ballot, I respect the hell out of because they actually decided to make an effort in trying to change the world. Sometimes, you know, some people will say, well, I'm just a number to someone. Don't I hear that all the time in the banking world? Well, people say that about voting too. Well, if I don't vote, you know, does it really matter? No, it doesn't matter. Well, reminder that George W. Bush beat Al Gore by 517 votes in 2000. And, you know, President Trump, of course, uh, won the election by a couple thousand votes here or there in some states. And I live in a small fucking state where literally sometimes mayoral races or city council races are are deadlocked. It's like 128 to 128. And the winner of the county commissionership will be decided in a, in a game of poker. This shit happens in the Old West still. This is the way politics work in the Old West. And I, I, have, I know some people who have gotten office because of a game of high card, low card. Or a game of blackjack, for God's sakes. This shit happens. It's literally literally in the charters of a lot of communities in New Mexico. And in, and in communities all across the country. So what the hell am I rambling about here? Well, you know, the thing about politics is it's the same thing like banking. And maybe that's why I kind of grew a disdain for it, you know, in my late 20s, early 30s. Was because you're always looking to convince people. 
And in banking, it's all, hey, come here. You know what? We're going to change the way you think about the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. And we're going to do this and do that. And whatever. Doesn't that sound like a bank to you? Here at Bank of America, you know, we have the best checking account. We have the most secure debit card with chip technology. We offer direct deposit that allows you to get your money way faster than the next person. And we have online banking tools likes which you have never seen that advances the technological age of banking 20 years. I mean, that's the way bankers fucking talk. So politicians talk like that too. I get kind of turned off. I'm like... Um, are you going to cut taxes? Yeah or no. Are you going to raise taxes? What about my property taxes? What about new schools or whatever? You know, people want to hear, you know, tangible stuff. And in banking, it's never about tangible stuff. It's always like, we have award-winning technology to prevent hackers from breaking into your online banking. Shut the fuck up. Just let me know if I can see my online banking. And if there's fraud, you let me know there's fraud and fix it. That's all I need to know. And that's the thing with politicians is sometimes they overpromise, and that's life, I guess. But it's a sales job, you know. Being a politician is a sales job. Working in banking is a sales job too. But sometimes you have customers that are no longer able to be sold to, and a lot of the times it's poorer customers. A lot of the times it's older customers, and sometimes you get that combination of poor old customer, and they don't see or they don't care that they're being taken advantage of. Which leads me to a conversation about a customer of mine. I'm just going to call Ben. I know his last name. I was trying to think of his last name for the last couple of days. And I couldn't think of it. And it just finally came to me before I recorded this podcast. Ben was a gentleman. I mean, he is the stereotypical little Hispanic older man that I grew up around in New Mexico. When I mean little, I mean he is diminutive. He is like 5'2", five, 5'3". Really short guy. He probably wears 26 length jeans. That's how short he is. And me, 6'2", 300 pounds. I just overpowered him anytime I saw him. But he was respectful to me and I was respectful to him. I was taught to respect my elders and I did so. He came to me often though, especially whenever I became a banker in 2011. And he always wanted checks. Now he's an old school dude. He was in his 90s. I, I, I don't know if he's still alive, unfortunately. I wish I knew. Um, but he was born in the 1920s. That I do remember. So that puts him at at least um, 91 years old at this point in time. He could be 100 years old at this point. It's been two years since I thought about him. So he would go in, I swear, I swear to you, in about every three weeks... And he'd go in to see me and need to order checks. It, it came to the point where I saw him. I started ordering the checks before he even walked to my office. And, um, you know, a lot of you are saying, well, so what does that mean? Well, whenever we order checks, it's 120 checks that we used to order at Bank of America. He was an account holder since the SunWest Bank days of New Mexico, which was like the late 80s, early 90s of early Bank of America. And apparently he had this program, this waiver uh, for free checks for life for opening an account back in the early 90s or whatever. And that note was on there for the longest fucking time at Bank of America. And it said free checks for life, whatever. And I would always order these checks for him. So he'd come in with his little you know, check order slip and say, Hey, Mr. Baca, I need to order some more checks. I said, yes, sir, Mr. His last name. And I would click on it, and it would be free because there was the waiver or whatever. So you get these 120 checks. Now, they normally run $26. 
$26 for checks. Are you fucking kidding me? He would get this huge box of checks every three weeks. I never asked him why. They're free. What the hell doesn't matter why he wants them? Maybe he's making a paper mache fucking swan. I don't know. So he kept on asking for checks every three weeks. And never really bothered me or I thought about anything wrong about that. And then he had an issue with uh, fraud on his account. And that's when it kind of hit me where he someone charged their electric bill using his checking and routing number and it even said the person's name it was like Derek something on the dude's online banking so I called uh, Bank of America claims surprisingly in 2012 they were on the ball back then as opposed to now and they're like oh yeah that's abnormal for him he only writes checks he writes hundreds of checks a month I was like yes he does write hundred checks a month so the way that this purchase went through was not like him, and I know him well enough to know that it wasn't him. I'm like, oh yeah, we'll take care of it, we'll fix it. And they wanted to re um, reopen an account for him and close that one out due to fraud. I was like, he writes a lot of checks, and he's familiar with that account number. He's had it for so long. I was like, he may not want to close it out. So, he, he, he needed to talk to Bank of America's Fraud Associates. And I kept on hearing them full court press him about closing the account out. Sir, you know, James can open an account for you. He's going to close out this one for you for now to make sure that the bad guys are not taking advantage of you anymore. And then he's going to open up another one and then he'll get you some temporary checks now. And he'll be able to write checks starting, you know, today from the new account. And he said no. He said no, he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to uproot anything he had his social security and all that stuff so he's like no thank you i'm fine i'll watch out for it and i know mr baka watch out for it so i knew kind of that um the person on the phone wasn't necessarily pleased by that outcome and sometimes you hear no sometimes someone doesn't want to do something and you can't help someone who doesn't want to be helped so i said well i guess he didn't want to do it thank you so much for your help though and we'll be on the lookout for the claim for him and all that so i hung up with her and then I start to get to the point where I was going to reorder checks for his account again because it was that time. And it tells me the account is closed. That fucking person closed his account out anyway. Furious. Furious, furious, furious. So I I was trying to like figure out how to get his account reopened without him knowing that it was closed. So I told him, I said, hey, you know what? There's a slight de- there's a slight printing delay on these checks, so can we hold off on on buying some for a, you know about a week or so while I figure out what's going on? Because I know with all this stuff going on, it's not allowing me to print out checks. He's like, oh yeah, that's fine, but please hurry up. You know the primaries are coming up, and this was like June of 2012, and he meant prim- primaries by the um, presidential primaries for Republicans, and that's when Mitt Romney was about to get nominated. He was already nominated at that point uh, for president. Um, New Mexico was always the last one to do anything, so it was already a foregone conclusion that Romney was going to go against Obama. So I never asked him about his politics until that point in time. He's like, oh yeah, I wanted to donate to that Romney fellow, and I wanted to donate to our governor, who was um, Susana Martinez at that point, another Republican. And, you know, I said, oh, that's interesting, whatever. I told her, I told him my story about my aunt being the Republican Party chair. Not that I was trying to be like... A Republican brother to him or anything like that. It was just, just, you know, making small talk. 
it's a small small country, small world. So I wanted him to say, hey, yeah, I'm familiar with so and so because of my aunt or whatever. So we're talking about this, and he says, yeah, I try to donate as much as I can. I was like, oh, do you now? Now here's the thing I knew about Mr. Ben. So. He made about $450 a month in Social Security. He didn't even make the normal $720, whatever. He made a little more than half that, about $400 and change. As far as I could tell, that's the only money that he had, period. He wore basically the same um, outfit every single time I saw him, like a, like a flannel shirt. Not a flannel shirt, a plaid shirt. And these really like Walmart baggy jeans that were just way too baggy for him. Same thing, he looked like a retiree, you know, and he, you know, he just looked like he was very disheveled at all times, but I swear to you, he wore the same thing all the fucking time, all the time. No commentary on his hygiene or his cleanliness or whatever, it's, I just found it strange. But I also found the fact to be later on as a banker that when you see someone like that, typically they don't have enough money to buy new clothes or to buy a haircut or whatever, so... I finally got to talk to Mr. Ben for the first time like a normal human being. And I said, well, what do you do? And he's like, well, no, I donate. You know, I donate to causes that I believe in, whether it's going to be this action committee or this candidate. And I want to make sure that change happens because he told me straight up, he said, I don't make enough in Social Security. And I want to make sure that I'm going to be able to live and be able to afford stuff like that. I'm like, well, I guess, you know, that's noble. You know, it's hard, though. Because when you don't have a lot to give, the fact that you're giving, and he was a Catholic man too, so he talked about, you know, tithing to the church and all that stuff. Um, You know, it was just really just a unique story to see of him. So I finally got a chance to look at his transaction history whenever I was talking to him because I'm just trying to just gather information to kind of try to get his account reopened on the download because they fucking close his account out anyway. And I looked, literally, I swear to God, I looked at his um, profile and it would say like check 4144, check 4145, check 4156, 57, 58, 59, 60. All these for $3. Every check was for $3. And I'm like, that's so weird. Who writes checks for $3, you know? People used to laugh at people for using credit cards for under a dollar transaction. Imagine people writing checks for, you know, $3 all the time. So this 400 and whatever dollars that he was making, he would literally write a check $3 at a time for all these things. And it was so bizarre. So I would look at check number 4144 and it would be to the New Mexico GOP. And then, you know, 445, it'd be to Mitt Romney for president. And then it'd be someone for city council, someone for governor. Like every single, every single candidate that had the R was literally getting $3 a week from this person. $3 a week or $3 a month, I guess I should say. And he would literally write a $3 check for every candidate in the state of New Mexico or anyone running for national office, of course, president being the main one, for $3. And it was dozens upon dozens of checks for $3 to so-and-so for city council and president, whatever. And I was blown away. I scrolled through his profile. He had more transactions than some lunatic, you know, using his debit card 10 times a day. His statement, I swear to God, was 24 pages long. And he only made $400 a month. And it was literally all these little check images of, you know, 
so-and-so for district attorney, so-and-so for sheriff. I'm like, son of a bitch. I can't believe this. I just, I, I was stunned. And here's the thing. No commentary on the actual candidates or the Republican Party or whatever. Teach their own. I grew up in New Mexico, okay? As I mentioned, family members were Republicans. Family members were Democrats. Friends of the family were Republicans. Friends and friends of the family were Democrats. There are some things that I believe that should change. There are some things I believe that should stay the same. And you know what? I have friends, some really close friends, that believe the total opposite of what I believe in. So I'm proud to say that my state is unique that way, where we grow up in a place where, yes, people have extremely different points of view, and they can still hang out at the bar together over here. And um, as crazy as my state can be sometimes, that's one of the beautiful things about New Mexico is... We're not all that different at the end of the day when you live in a place like New Mexico. No commentary on the way he spent his money. It was just the fact that he was spending all of his money. And I'm like, how the fuck is he eating? Like, I swear to God, like, I didn't understand this. Does he get meals on wheels? I didn't want to ask him these things because he didn't have a debit card. And I didn't see any checks for the grocery store either. So I was curious. How does he eat? How does he gather food? Does he go to the senior center? Any of this stuff, it just really boggled my mind, except for these $3 checks that he wrote to every candidate that had an R next to their name. And it was just so bizarre. So I told him I couldn't order the checks because of what was going on with uh, the fraud alert and all that stuff. So he was understanding, you know, and I said, well, I want to make sure you get your money back before you can write some more checks. And he understood. So... He had that free-for-life waiver for those checks. One of the reasons he probably wrote so many checks because he knew he can get, keep on getting free checks for life. And, um, you know, I can't give you an example of 4144, 4145 or whatever. But he literally wrote so many checks from what I can see in his history that he reset back to 0001. Like he went from check number 9999 to 0001. Bank of America doesn't do five-digit check numbers. They do, but usually it's for businesses, and it's this whole fucking thing to get them printed that way or whatever. So he literally reset his odometer to all zeros, zero, 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 one, two, three, four, five, and so forth in the time that I worked there until the time I last saw him in 2018. So this dude wrote 10,000 checks. But in the middle of all this, the story I'm telling you, his account was frozen because of this this jackass paying his electric bill or whatever with Mr. Ben's account. So I put the request in to get it reopened, reinstated. I say it was closed in error. I said I had him on the phone with customer service. Customer service did not honor customer's request. Close his account without warning, without notice. Customer impacted, cannot use his money, does not want to reopen an account. Please reopen ASAP. Well, ASAP at Bank of America is three fucking days. Okay, so three days later, gets approved saying, hey, it's reopened. I finally get a hold of Mr. Ben. And I said, hey, you know what? Your account's back open. I'll order some checks for you. So I order some checks. I go through the same spiel that I went through all the time. All the time with this man. Same checks, duplicate checks. And it was the advantage checks that Bank of America had. 120 checks starting number 1112 or whatever and he hit update to update the little image with his name and stuff on there and then instead of 0.00 the fee waiver because this stupid idiot 
customer service rep closed his account down against his wishes. When it reopened, it got rid of that free for life checks, um, checking account checks waiver that the original Sun West Bank pre Bank of America put on there like thirty years before, and that waiver wasn't there anymore. So this hundred and twenty check order, twenty six dollars, twenty six dollars for hundred and twenty checks for this old man. Mind you, he only made four hundred and fifty dollars or something like that a month, from what I could tell. Never had more than four fifty in his account at any point in time, and all of a sudden, Bank of America is going to hit him up for what is that like five percent of his money at that point in time? Are you fucking kidding me? It was so aggravating and annoying. Twenty six dollars. I told my manager about it. He said, "Well, he has to pay for his checks." I was like, "He had a waiver." I was like, "You were here twenty years ago. You remember when this bank was called Sun West?" They did this, and it, and, and it no longer exists, but this thing still existed until this idiot on the phone messed it up. And then she said, okay, James, well, let me show you how to put an employee waiver whenever we make, like, a printing error or whatever. So she showed me a little trick on how to make sure that this person never gets charged and to waive the fee and to charge it back to the bank. I charged it back to the bank. I got him his checks. And three weeks later, I did the same thing. Three weeks later, I did the same thing and so on and so on and so on. From 2012 or whatever until the time I left in 2018, I probably did that 50 or 60 times for this uh, for this gentleman. Um, it's a crazy amount of money that I waived. I probably waived over $1,000 just in check fees at that point in time. But it was because of a really stupid customer service or not listening to a customer's wishes but then also the nerve to not fix it correctly to make the make this old man pay $26 for checks had I not been there. Screw that. I had to teach every employee that worked at that bank until I left. Hey, they made a mistake on his account in 2012. This is how you avoid the fees when he wants checks in case I'm not here. Showed everyone the ropes and how to do that. Fuck, that might be one of the reasons I got fired was because I waived the fee too much for this old man. And I literally waived $1,000 in check printing for him over the years or whatever. They made a mistake and had someone like me not been there, this old man would have had a huge chunk of money charged for these little tiny pieces of paper that the bank offers. That way he can spend $3 at a time um, fundraising for his, you know, his candidates of choice. And it made me think a couple of things. First of all, fuck Bank of America for charging that much for checks. They're pieces of paper, for God's sakes, okay? Some people still use checks, and overpricing them is not the way to get people to stop using them. Show them a better way, and you know what? They'll forget about checks in two seconds. But it's just stupid. It's just idiotic that they do that. I, I just I can't stand it. Secondly... The fact of the matter is whenever you have a customer who's in a fixed income like that and you're supposed to be a bank and you're supposed to ask ask questions about, hey, Mr. Ben, what do you plan on doing the next six months from now? Like all these questions that that start out as sales pitches, you should ask that out of the goodness of your heart saying, hey, Mr. Ben, do you have plans for the next year? Because I noticed your balance is low and do you plan on saving long term or anything? Just kind of probe. Don't be nosy. Just ask him a question. He's an old man who didn't have anything. And you know what? He might have cared for, you know, 
a conversation about his finances and maybe he could have helped him out of that rut that he was in. Now, I'm not going to belittle any party, political party, for accepting contributions from the people. That's your American right to do so. But the fact of the matter is this old man literally spent every single penny out of his bank account to fund candidates made me want to um, have publicly funded elections and not have fundraising from outside sources and all that stuff like that. And I know that's probably a pipe dream or whatever, but that's one of the things that I'm just kind of like thinking about now was this old man getting literally going to get screwed over by Bank of America unless I was there and literally paying every penny, literally every penny to these people who didn't need it. Come on, man. Why, why do we do these things? Why do we do these things? The thing that bugs me, though, since I left Bank of America is if this old man is still alive, and I really hope to God that he is. He's in his 90s, like I said, at this point. Did they hassle him? Is he now paying $26 for these checks because James isn't there? If so, man, that's just another reason why your bank sucks. I wanted to tell that story about Mr. Ben because it just made me think about what I talk about with Bank of America, especially whenever I say that they're bad for old people. Well, stuff like that is bad. You have someone who's a 30-year customer. You have all these fee waivers that some some schmo 30 years ago placed on there that you have to honor 30 years later. And that sucks for Bank of America. I will agree to that. But, and this is a huge but, okay? You, you know, you talk about, and Bank of America loves to talk about this. If you ever go to Bank of America's website and you go to the state of Massachusetts, Bank of America will say that it's been in Massachusetts for like 260 years, <laughs> longer than fucking America itself. And the only reason they say that is because some bank that they bought years ago originated in the 1700s in Massachusetts, and then it got merged into something else, merged into something else, merged into something else, and into Bank of America. So they're honoring history that technically didn't include them as their own. And it's just the stupidest thing in the world. So for a bank who is so, you know, in touch with its history and in, in touch with longevity, they should look at an older gentleman like this and say, hey, you know what? He's an emeritus customer. Let's give him free checks until this man croaks. Let's make sure that we give him no fees until he croaks. And even when he does croak, his next of kin doesn't have to worry about fees. The thing with the the thing with me thinking stuff like that is, Bank of America does not like that kind of customer. They don't like check writing customers. They don't like fixed income folks because they don't bring them new products. They don't. But you know what? You gotta have heart sometimes. I can't give a hundred percent of my money to the homeless shelter across the street, but I can give one percent, and at least that's a start. Bank of America is so big about giving back, right? Well, give back to your own customers and say, hey, we're not going to charge you 30 bucks for fucking checks. If you like to write checks, then God bless you. Write as many checks as you want. I don't want them to be involved in politics. That's entirely that customer's prerogative. But let this man have an opportunity to do what makes him happy. But you know what? If you're his bank, you should also care about someone like that. And you should ask him, hey, what are your plans for your money six months from now? And maybe he'll have a come-to-God moment where he's like, I shouldn't be giving this money to these people that will never appreciate me. And that's just really all I got to say about that. I did 30 minutes on it. I can't believe I did that much. But, Mr. Ben, if you're still around, God bless you, sir. I really hope that things are well for you. 
um, you know, when it comes to your candidates that you pick and choose. Uh, I'm going to respectfully stay out of politics, but I'm going to say um, good luck to anyone you are rooting for and giving $3 for at a time in check writing form, which I'm pretty sure a lot of these LLC campaigns do not appreciate as well, to be quite frank with you. They like electronic contributions because it's all about being the most tech-savvy candidate sometimes and all that. All I can say is that bank was complicit in not um, helping him to the max. I could have done a lot better in asking him the reasons why he does certain things um, and maybe probe him more into kind of rethinking that thought. But at the same time, Bank of America, for making a mistake, is now going to charge that man $26 every few weeks because someone made a mistake on wishes that were not honored by that customer. Fuck that. After this brief promotional consideration, I'll be back with more podcasts, so please stick around. All right, we're back with more Notorious Banker. So CEO of Wells Fargo, Charles Scharf, the gentleman who got me 2.2 million impressions this week on Twitter, uh, thousands of new um, people who looked at my page, dozens of new followers, and conversations galore, um, put out two apologies um, in regards to his comments about having a limited black talent pool at Wells Fargo. September 22nd, the day before I got suspended, he put a tweet apology out and it said, I am sorry my comment has been misinterpreted. The financial industry and our company do not reflect the diversity of our population. We at Wells Fargo are committed to driving change and improving diversity and inclusion. So basically he said, sorry if you heard wrong. But then he also goes to say that, you know, the industry does not reflect the diversity of our population, which I agree to some extent. The lower levels of banking reflected just fine. I worked with a lot of Hispanics, a lot of African American people in the lower levels of retail banking to know that they are in fact there. They are there. They are there. The The lack of diversity is up top. Not the branch wing, but just to step up. The executives, the market executives, the market leaders, the regional people, the district managers, all those people that boss around the people in the branches, that's where the lack of diversity is, to be quite frank with you. And all I can tell you is I know this and people know this, and he obviously knows this too, but whenever he says the financial industry do not reflect the diversity of our population, and then he also says, I'm sorry, my comment has been misinterpreted, well, guess what? I'm going to be thinking about that for a while now. Because I don't think both things can be true. You can't say, hey, you heard me wrong, and then also say, hey, you know what? By and large, our company and the industry does not reflect the way that the population looks like. That's incorrect, okay? Like, he understands what is really going on at his place of work, and he understands the way that it looks to the American public. So that little tweet, that little image that I shared that was ridiculous on Tuesday was followed up by a long-ass, and I mean a long-ass press release, on Wednesday, the day that I got suspended. And I didn't get a chance to talk about it a lot because I was suspended a lot that day. But um, it says, CEO Charlie Scharf, and he uses Charlie to kind of, you know, be one with the crowd again. You know, Charles is so professional, but no, man, that's Charlie. Charlie's cool. Charlie's a really good guy. CEO Charlie Scharf reinforces commitment to diversity and inclusion. So um, I'm going to read this in my banker voice since it's apparently from the words and from the heart of CEO Charles Scharf of Wells Fargo. 
And I'm going to stop myself um, in some parts of it here. And I'm going to try to do this fast because this is a long podcast already. Um, so September 23rd, 2020, um, Dateline, New York. Of course, he lives in New York. Although the corporate office is in San Francisco, he fought to do his job from New York. So Wells Fargo acquiesced and that is why it's coming from New York. So it says, Wells Fargo CEO Charlie Sharp sent the following message to all employees today. Here's the bank voice. Some of you may have seen media stories referencing a comment on diverse talent from my June, quote, our commitment to change, end quote, memo. I apologize for making an insensitive comment reflecting my own conscious bias. There are many talented, diverse individuals working at Wells Fargo and throughout the financial services industry, and I never meant to imply otherwise. Now, let me stop right there. I hate when people apologize and says, like, deep down in my soul, I must be racist, I must be biased. And it's true, I am going to say that uncomfortably, I'm going to say that. I think people make decisions based on bias far too often in this world and i'm probably one of these people you know you're presented with a few options you're going to go to the one that you feel most quote comfortable with and although i think that that's stupid i really think that people should take more thought into what goes on in the world and in their lives and all that stuff i just really think personally when you throw yourself under the bus like that it's just in in bad taste you know, if, if you say, yeah, I'm a racist asshole, say it that way, but don't say, you know, I, I'm reflecting my own unconscious bias. Deep down, I never thought about this, but apparently I do think like this, and it's got to change. Shut up. I've worked in the financial services industry for many years, and it's clear to me that across the industry, we have not done enough to improve diversity, especially at senior le- leadership levels. And there is no question Wells Fargo has to make meaningful progress to increase diverse representation. As I said in June, I have committed that this time must be different. It's in italics. Just in the last few months, we have announced and welcomed new diverse senior leaders who have deeply impressive resumes. We have hired two members of the operating committee, Lester Owens, head of operations, and Aether Williams III, who joins in October as head of strategy, digital, and innovation. We are also close to hiring a leader for the new diverse segments representation and inclusion group, who will report to me and be responsible for advancing the company's diversity efforts in the marketplace and workplace. We are pleased that Christy Furcho recently joined our company to lead home lending, We have also promoted talent internally, like Gigi Dixon, to the head of external relations. Now, here's the thing, okay? This is my personal opinion, and if you take offense by it, I'm sorry. You're saying, you know what? We must be diverse. And then you point out four people that are, quote, diverse. I'm assuming, I know that Christy Virtue is African-American. I don't know about the other ones. I assume that they are, too. But... It's like it's like that person that always says that they're not racist saying, Hey, I have black friends, oh yeah. And and basically that's what Wells Fargo is saying to me here. Wells Fargo is saying, Hey, you know what, just in the last few months, we've hired quite a few blacks. Lester Owens, Christy Furcho, Gigi Dixon. Like, imagine honestly, and this is my as a Hispanic Mexican American guy, imagine being pointed out like that, saying, Hey, look at that guy over there, he looks different than you all. Yeah. That, that's who we hired. We're diverse. I mean, that would be so embarrassing to me. And I'm proud of my heritage. I'm proud of being a brown-skinned dude. I'm proud of being a Hispanic dude. But whenever you say, hey, you know, we've made fundamental changes. Lester, he joins our crew. You know, I mean, give me a break. 
you know, like, you can say these things. You can say that you hire these people, but don't use these people as examples to say, hey, you were kind of wrong, and we are kind of promoting uh, diverse people from within. You can't have it both ways. You can't say that we need to change, but we hired four black people, and all of a sudden we're great. I, that's the one part I don't get about this statement. You can't say, we want to change, and then you said, hey, we changed. There's four people that say that we've changed. No, not at all. Over the past several months, I have greatly enjoyed and benefited from many conversations with the black and its capitalized slash African-American connection and other team member network affinity groups. I told a story about um, affinity groups at Bank of America in my last podcast and it just pissed me off about how, honestly, banks see that as a nuisance. As a, hey, what are you guys talking about over there? You got to get to work. You got sales goals to hit. I am committed to continuing to listen and learn and appreciate all of your help in driving meaningful change at our company. While we have a lot of work to do, I am encouraged by our early progress. In addition to our new senior leader hires, we have recently launched a, quote, returnship program focused on diverse talent who have been out of the work workforce for an extended period uh, to support their return to the industry. So I are they talking about people they fired with, like, the Wells Fargo scandal? Are they talking about stay-at-home moms that just happen to be people of color. I, I want to know more about that. Additionally, we are requiring diverse candidate slates for key roles with compensation of more than $100,000 and increasing business with diverse suppliers. Okay, so diverse candidate slates for key roles with compensation more than $100,000. That reminds me of the Rooney Rule in the NFL. And if you've listened to anyone who criticizes the NFL, the Rooney Rule, which is meant to introduce um, mostly white owners with African-American, Hispanic, and other diverse individuals for coaching uh, spots, general manager spots, it has not worked out the way that the rule's spirit was intended. And although there are African-American coaches, and there's one Hispanic coach for uh, the Washington football team, it's not... Half half the league, you know, is diverse. It's a few select people in a in a company, you know, NFL, which is seventy five percent African American. So a lot of people who are criticizing the Rooney Rule, saying that hey, if you say you want to hire people, um, you know, that are diverse, you just can't put them on the docket to interview and not hire them. You have to actually start hiring these people, you know. And that's the thing with the NFL, because there's some people that are people of color who do not agree to interviews. They're like, hey, you want to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? Whenever all the rumors are stating that they're going to hire this white dude to be the coach, do you want to have some kind of fake interview just to kind of placate them to make sure that they're not breaking the rules? No, fuck that. I want to be considered just as well as the next guy. So just saying that we're requiring to have black and Hispanic people to you know apply for all these jobs, that doesn't mean shit unless they actually get hired. And that's the truth. Increasing business with diverse suppliers. Honestly, if you are a company that prints checks or a company that prints out the plastic debit cards, look, literally, I like the effort, but you're laying it on too thick, okay? Let the best company do those type of things. Diverse suppliers, if, if it's a black company, cool. If not, then that's fine. That's trying too hard. Let's work with the employees first. And then let's worry about the companies that, that we're just kind of dealing with later at that point in time. And then it says other efforts underway include 
reaching out to diverse talent. To help expand our outreach and sourcing opportunities with diverse talent, our university programs team has been working closely with operating committee leaders to help build engagement. To help build engagement means making a call or sending an email. Like, are they actually walking into these places and talking with them face-to-face, or are they just sending out some bullshit email saying, hey, we'd like to work with you? With historically black colleges and universities, or HBCUs, or Hispanic-serving institutions, or HSIs. Anti-racism training course. A new live anti-racism training course is being developed. We'll share more information as details come together. I just like the fact that it's live-action training course and not some bullshit um, training that you used to take at the bank. I, I did trainings for 13 years at Bank of America. Not once did I ever actually look at the trainings because we were instructed to work on those trainings between customers. So you never got to really do a deep dive in this training because there was always someone in front of you. If it's live action and it provides like bad language and acting and role playing and stuff like that, it can be fun in a weird way and it can be thought provoking in, in another way. Senior Leader Accountability. Operating committee leaders have been working with their diversity and inclusion consultants and HR business partners to integrate DNI into their business plans and reviews. And each operating committee member is an executive sponsor for at least one of the team member networks. This shit is word salad. Basically, it's saying some important people are going to be in these important committees to make sure that diversity and inclusion is in all of them. Accountability means what? That you're going to write them up? That you're going to dock their pay? I would like to know that. Executive compensation. As part of the year-end evaluation process, operating committee members will be evaluated based upon their progress in improving diverse representation and inclusion in their area of responsibility. These evaluations will have a direct impact on year-end compensation decisions. Now, I've discussed this before in a previous podcast. I talked about it with one of the people that... um, that are reporters that talk about these things. And uh, the reporter mentioned that a lot of the people, the activists, were calling for tying executive compensation to hitting diversity goals. And Wells Fargo did, did such too. They kind of acquiesced and said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to hold ourselves accountable. We're going to make sure that we're more diverse and we're going to tie year-end bonuses um, for executives to that. I've told you in a podcast before, year-end bonuses mean shit. Yes, they can probably lose a million dollars, two million dollars, or whatever. But when you're making ten to twelve million dollars a year, if you're making five million a year and you miss out on a fifty thousand dollar bonus, so what? Have you ever been up a thousand dollars in Vegas? I know this sounds stupid, okay, but have you ever went to Vegas with a spending limit and then you go play the slot machines or you play some craps or blackjack? And all of a sudden, you find $1,000 in your pocket that you didn't have before. And no matter what happens, you're leaving Vegas on a winning streak, and you're leaving Vegas with money. Then when you go out to eat the last time, you're like, fuck yeah, I want the 32-ounce tomahawk steak. I want two baked potatoes. I want a a $16 sake from Japan. And then I'm going to go to the dispensary and buy $50 of marijuana, get stoned, and fall asleep in a hotel room. You do dumb shit with your money but you also can you kind of like forget about it when it's quote bonus money so executive compensation unless they're docking pay writing people up and potentially losing their jobs based on diversity goals and inclusion goals it means nothing to me if it's some bonus that might not have been there otherwise anyway because of a bad sales year 
or because of sanctions or whatever that the government did or whatever. Who the fuck cares? Like, it means nothing to me. Do not tie diversity goals to bonus pay, year-end compensation. If you want to say, hey, you don't want an increase in salary, so what? If you make $2 million a year, is making $2,010,000 a year going to be any different to you? Fuck no, you don't care. You're making $2 million a year, and if you're 70 and you're nearing retirement, who cares? It doesn't mean anything. It's it's kind of a false like bullet point there saying, hey, you know what? We're tying it all to this. When Depending on what part of compensation is impacted by that, it really doesn't mean nothing in my opinion. And then it wraps up with saying, this is an important moment in our firm. I hate when fucking banks call themselves firms or anything. It's like when Bank of America calls themselves a tech company. So yeah, so CEO Sharp should have said, this is an important moment in our bank. Or this is an important moment at Wells Fargo in our firm. <laughs> and we will not let it go without substantive changes. I cannot do this alone and I am asking for your help. I know we will be judged based on our outcomes. Thank you for all you do for our company. Okay, and there's some media contacts there that will probably say no comment or something if you were to contact them. But here's the thing, okay? And and there was a couple of people who I talked to on Twitter after I got um, the suspension lifted that basically said it was an incomplete, and he mentioned it kind of as such, it was kind of an incomplete thought. It wasn't so much that, hey, we have a limited talent pool. He wasn't saying, hey, we don't have a lot of black people here and all of them are not brilliant. It was more of a, you know what? The cupboard was bare. We don't have a lot of African Americans in leadership roles because shame on those other fucking people before us. They didn't kind of, they didn't kind of stock the pool with talent. They didn't look for talent. And all of a sudden it left us in a hole and we're trying to make do with with what we got here and right now there's not a lot if he said it that way as harsh as it sounds and as as cringeworthy as it sounds i would respect that but the problem with an incomplete comment and the problem with the way that he said that was it kind of it kind of just said that hey i can't i'm working with nothing here but you know what in a place of two hundred and seventy thousand or however many employees are there there's bound to be one person you know, it's it's like it's like American Idol or America's Got Talent. I know this sounds stupid, but you know, American Idol, how many thousands of people audition? All these people audition and all of a sudden one person is 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 now the the bell cow for the whole company for American Idol or whatever, that this is the star that we're gonna create. Can't Wells Fargo do the same thing whenever you say you have a limited talent pool? Find one person, one person who may not have all the tools and then mold them to have the tools and that person might be CEO someday. But whenever you have part of a comment that basically says, hey, we don't have very much over here. Well, if you don't have very much, it's different than having none. So if you have a little bit, then at least that's something. And that's at least something to go on, Mr. Sharf. I said in my last podcast you should resign. I don't I don't I don't think so. Okay. I I, I wanna see see you through this. I want to see you improve the way that Wells Fargo is looked upon when it comes to stuff like this because who's to say that the next CEO won't do the same shit if you put these bullet points out and you put a statement out saying that you had an unconscious bias 
um, with diverse talent and all that. Well, put your money where your mouth is. You make $39 million. That's a lot of fucking money and a lot of money going into your big mouth. So I want you to see what you're going to do to help Wells Fargo, to help the banking industry overcome these hurdles. And maybe, just maybe, I'll give you another chance. So do not resign. Continue doing what you're doing, but I'm going to hold you to it. And everyone, every black person, every Hispanic person on Twitter, anytime something happens that's that's kind of biased to people of color, um, they're going to be watching. And then they're going to reference that day, September 22nd, 2020, when you put a comment out there, or when a comment was kind of put out there, that you said that got twisted so far out of left field that, you know what, you kind of you kind of submitted to it and said, you know what, it was kind of true based on my own unconscious bias. So, you know what, if it's true, fix it, Mr. Sharp. Fix it, and you know what, I'm, I'm going to give you another chance to fix it before I call for your resignation again. So, you know, thank you so much for the clarification and the second apology. It means a lot. I want to hold you to all these bullet points that you gave in the hopes that you fulfill all them because I really think it would be a great thing if you do. And we'll see where we go from here. But all I can say is thank you so much, Mr. Sharp, for giving me one of the busiest weeks of my life, one of the most popular weeks that I've had as the Notorious Banker because of your comments. I have never seen such vitriol from so many famous people where I talked to so many people who were important in this world and all of a sudden I get retweeted and I got introduced to tens of thousands of more amazing people checking out my profile, following my page, and listening to my podcast. So although you said something very stupid, Mr. Sharf, I do thank you for saying that stupid thing because it allows me to get in touch with people who feel the same way that I do about big banks. And my friends, that is why the Notorious Banker podcast is thriving. I'll be back to wrap it up uh, with a brief note about what Bank of America said in a social media post that has got me thinking about um, the end game with my project, so please stick around. All right, my friends, I'm back to wrap it up. But before I do, um, Bank of America on Friday, on Twitter, on Facebook, I know for sure, LinkedIn, and probably the other places that they do their social media bullshit. I haven't blocked the most of them. But, of course, the, the nosy snoop that I am, I always look at everything that they post so I can laugh. That way I can share it with my followers. That way I can see what they're talking about. Um, this one really hit close to home. And the reason I wanted to wrap up with talking about this was because it's really going to discuss the next part of my project. So Bank of America talked about um, be on the lookout for cyber scammers who may try to trick you with legitimate looking texts and emails. To be safe, don't share your access codes or other personal information. And then it's like, learn how to protect yourself online. And it goes to the Privacy and Security Center of Bank of America. And it's just this really cool webpage where it has um, some guy's like pupil. And it has like a whole bunch of like diagrams around his pupil and a bunch of numbers and shit. Like it's like a bad representation of the not too distant future in a movie or something. And it says, together we could identify and resolve fraud events faster. Yeah, sure. You all know what I do with fraud claims and Bank of America and Wells Fargo, right? And then it says, see why you should never share your access codes with anyone. <laughs> okay, so here goes. No fraud when you see it. And it has a picture of someone looking like they're typing in their credit card number to their phone. So, how to recognize fraud. Recognizing fraud isn't always easy. 
but knowing what to look for can help you avoid becoming a target. Common types of scams will target you with fake emails, a technique known as phishing, text messages known as smishing, I didn't know that, and voice calls known as vishing. I, isn't it all phishing? Why does it have to have different, I don't know, whatever. Bank of America will never ask you to provide your social security number, ATM, or debit card PIN, or any other sensitive information in response to an email or text. That part is true. Okay, and it says, if you receive an email or text from Bank of America and you're unsure it's real, don't click on any links. So that part of the security center thing is on par with every bank saying, hey, don't do these things. Don't click on these links. Don't click on any emails. I, I, I helped people with that over the years at Bank of America because people would go in and say, hey, did you guys send this? And it looked fake. But to the naked eye, to the average person who's freaked out already, it looks kind of real. So I understand um, you know, whenever your nerves are unsettled there. But then there's another part where it talks about um, avoiding bank scams. And it says, am I safe or am I being scammed? And it has a picture of some guy who looks like the fucking Unabomber with a hood on. He's wearing a hood while he's on the computer, which I don't know if he's in a internet cafe and he's cold or what. But this picture is just so stupid. And the computer is old. If he's a hacker, then <laughs> he's not much of a hacker with that old um, laptop computer that he has. But here's the thing that pissed me off, and here's the thing that just really frustrated me about my project, uh, The Notorious Banker, and, you know, The Notorious Banker podcast and everything that I do. It says, know the red flags. The most common types of scams will target you through fake emails. I mean, aren't all emails real? Just the content is fake. Text messages, voice calls, letters, or even someone who shows up at your front door unexpectedly. No matter which technique the scammer uses, you may be, and then bullet points, and here's the first one. This is the only one I care about, but I'm going to read through them all. Bullet point one, instructed not to trust Bank of America or to respond to questions in untruthful ways. Pressured to send money. Threatened with law enforcement action. Told to purchase gift cards and provide codes as a form of payment. Asked to cash a check for a stranger or send money via wire transfer or Zelle. And then ask to deposit a check that overpays for something that you're selling, then send the difference elsewhere. So all those bullet points hit the mark, except the first one. What the fuck is that? So those other ones are legit, like for Craigslist or people selling stuff. Be really careful, okay? Be really careful with that stuff. I want you to protect yourself at all times, at all costs. The first bullet point is interesting, though. Instructed to not trust Bank of America. First of all, does that not sound like um, Kim Jong-un, North Korea? Doesn't it sound like a communist country? How dare you not trust fearless leader? I mean, give me a freaking break here. Y you know, you want to tr believe that you can trust your money with a bank like Bank of America, Wells Fargo, whatever. And I want to believe that. And I believe 99.9% .9 of the time they do a good job with, you know, keeping your money safe and secure. It's that one-tenth of 1%. Uh, 1 that I have a problem with because there's a lot of people who are getting scammed by so many people and Bank of America just not helping. So whenever I say do not trust Bank of America, I am going to say this right now, that this bullet point is 100% about the notorious banker, period, end of story. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that that is referring to me. And the fact that I'm being um, bullet pointed with uh, am I being safe or am I being scammed is really fucking annoying and really, you know, it angers me to be quite frank with you. 
Because I tell people to not trust Bank of America because I've seen the song and dance before, even when I worked at Bank of America. I've seen how they, how they, I don't want to say bully, because bully's the wrong word here, and I've been bullied in the last few months. It sucks. It's not fun. They convince people that they're working really hard to solve their fraud issue. And they convince people that once their documents are submitted, that they're reviewing all documents and they're working with the merchant or they're working with another company to ensure that you get your money back. But then 45 days, 60 days, however long it is, comes and goes. And then you get the client and say, no, we believe it to be your transaction. Sorry, you're not getting your money back. Bank of America does that a lot, okay? And whenever it says, am I being scammed? I am of the belief, it is my thought, and I'm an American citizen. It is my it is my belief that Bank of America should not be trusted because I, I am not sure who I'm trusting at that point in time. Bank of America, the actual company, stock market code BAC, uh, may be the trustworthy bank that they say that they are. But the people, the employees that do their fraud claims, the people, the employees that do basic customer service are not employees of Bank of America. They are employees of third-party call centers. They are employees of other places. They do not get checks from Bank of America. So you're not getting the same quality employee with those people than you are an actual Bank of America employee. Now, I'm not saying that an actual Bank of America employee would be any better. However, I am saying that whenever your fraud claim goes to the fraud claims department, the person making your decision more than likely does not actually work for Bank of America. To me, that should be something that is grounds for not trusting Bank of America. So I don't instruct anyone to not trust Bank of America. I, I instruct them to not trust the process because the process is clunky. The, the process is broken. The reason why the Notorious Banker exists is because of those things. The, the process is clunky and broken and people need help and they need the belief that someone's going to listen to them. And I do listen to them, but my whole point is to get someone else to listen to them. That way they can get their fucking money back. Respond to questions in untruthful ways. Not true. I tell people to say exactly what was told to them or what was not said to them. So um, let me give you an example. If Bank of America has a customer who got defrauded $5,000 from Zelle, I am going to tell the customer to say, you say exactly what that customer service rep said, that there's nothing you can do, that Zelle was authorized by you, and we're not able to refund your money. I'm not going to tell someone to email the executive in San Francisco or Miami to say, yeah, the guy on the phone said, if you if you, if I call you, if I email you, that you're going to get it fixed. I, I don't fucking know that. And in fact, I don't think a lot of those execs know how to get shit like that fixed. So here's the thing, okay? Whenever they say respond to questions in untruthful ways, I tell people to say exactly verbatim how it is. I want Bank of America to understand that these people have a photographic memory or they at least jotted notes down to say, hey, I spoke to John in your customer service office and he said that there's nothing you can do. What are you going to tell me that's different than what John said? That's what I want customers to believe. So whenever I tell people, whenever you answer questions with Bank of America, this is the only thing that I tell them, and this is not being untruthful. I say do not let your emotions get the best of your answers. Do not be pissed off at the person asking you the questions because they're less likely to listen to your answers if they sound kind of angry. So I say respond to questions professionally and with courtesy. And you can be upset, but don't be pissed. You can be angry, but don't be uncontrollably full of anger.
Do you know what I mean? And I want people to understand that whenever they're talking to a Bank of America or to a Wells Fargo, that the other person is a human being on the other end of the line. And although they are professionally trained a lot of the times, they're human beings. And when they get yelled at, when they get told off, whenever something is not their fault, yet they had to hear about it, they're more likely to ignore your pleas for help just because you're so damn rude. Even the notorious banker himself has gone through that shit working at a bank where someone is so rude in my in the back of my head I'm not wanting to help them because I'm like man you don't you're not worth my time or effort and that's the way a lot of these people think I don't tell people to respond um to questions in untruthful ways that is not true in fact I want them to be truthful and I want them to be direct and blunt and that's another thing. Whenever someone's not helpful at Bank of America, you fucking say that they're unhelpful. I've I've had customers like that. Well, you know, it's been busy and with the virus, it's been kind of crazy. And I'm sure they're really busy. So they probably slipped their mind this and that. No, they know exactly what they're fucking doing because they did that pre-virus. They did that pre-James getting fired at Bank of America. They did that pre-James working at Bank of America, for God's sakes. The difference between Bank of America 15 years ago and Bank of America today is there are thousands upon thousands of people on social media who share stories like this. And I kind of pull all these stories together for my project. And I show people that, hey, there's consistencies in how they lie to you. And yes, in my opinion, Bank of America lies to you about certain things with fraud. I want you customers to be 100% safe at any bank you go to going forward. Any bank you choose to decide to bank with going forward. And that means, you know what, what Bank of America says on this website is true. Don't be pressured to send money. You know, Do not be threatened with law enforcement action. Purchase gift cards or send Zelle. I hate Zelle, so don't send Zelle. Ask to deposit a check. No, I'm not going to ask you for those things. Some crooks might, and I want you to not do them. But that first bullet point is not like the others. Instructed to not trust Bank of America. Don't trust anyone with your money except for yourself. Hold them accountable whenever they're holding your money. And when something goes wrong with your money, hold them accountable and say, Hey, what the hell happened to my money here? And why don't I have it? And why does someone else have it? That's the way to do it. And the fact that Bank of America puts that bullet point on there is, is a clear direct shot at me. And I really believe this. I talked to some of the people that I um, deal with that have worked at Bank of America who work at Bank of America. And I showed them that. And they're like, man, that's you. That They're talking about you. And I was inclined to kind of give it all up uh, a couple of days ago. When I saw that, not because giving it up, meaning that I wasn't going to help anyone anymore. I just think that there's going to be a change in the way that I'm going to have to do vigilante customer service going forward. Because Bank of America all of a sudden has this little networking thing saying that, hey, there's some guy that's telling people not to trust Bank of America. And anytime he says something, it must be fake or fraud. No. In fact, I don't need to know even the person's first name or where the hell they're at most of the time in order to help them. Because the thing with Bank of America's bullshit, in my opinion, is it's always in patterns. They say the same things in different ways all the time to different customers, and it all leads the same path of not being helpful. I just kind of tie that all together. I show people from past experience that this is the way Bank of America is. I point it out to them and I tell them, you know what? You need to tell them this because otherwise they're not going to help you whatsoever. That's not responding to questions in untruthful ways. That's leading a customer, a client to actual help.
The Notorious Bankers Project, patreon.com slash notoriousbanker, asks for a $1 contribution or subscription, if you will, to my project. And I give you bonus podcasts. I'll give you some videos. I'll give you some tips to bank better at that point in time. You don't have to do that. It's recommended. But there's people that I've helped that haven't given me a dime. There's people I helped who I don't even know their last name. I don't even know where they're from. I don't know where they work. I don't know how much money they have in their account. I don't know any of that stuff because I don't want to know it. It's their business, not mine. But you know what? If someone believes in what I do and they say, hey, this James knows what he's talking about, and he's been more help than Bank of America or Wells Fargo has ever been to me, I want that person to contribute a dollar saying, hey, if my dollar can pay 150th of James's electric bill, that way he can help the next person at this bank that's getting screwed and railroaded by the bank, then so be it. I'm going to contribute that because my way of paying it forward is not just paying James money to help me out of these things. It's contributing to James's project. That way he can do it full time. That way he can pay the bills. That way he continue helping more and more people in the way that I'm best suited to help people. And that's by one-by-one one contact, okay? And if you don't want to contribute to my project, then you don't have to. But I do recommend it because at this point in time, my project is going to get to the point where it's going to get a little funky. When my book comes out, I will be making money off of that. And I really do intend to pay my bills with that. So I'm not going to say, hey, I don't need your Patreon contributions anymore. No, I need them more than ever to make sure I can take this to the next level. Here's the thing with that, okay? I plan on doing this project for as long as financially I can stand it, with withstand everything, and that's roughly about $1,000 to $1,200 a month. If I make $15,000 a year, I pay off all my bills. I have some extra money to buy some clothes here or there. I don't eat out. I cook food all the time. I know how to coupon. I know how to save money buying groceries and stuff like that. So my life will not be impacted by any way as long as I can get to like $1,200 a month. So I'm not going to do that by scamming people. I'm going to do that by helping people. I'm going to do that by providing a service just like any other American company is going to provide Bank of America. So the fact that you included me in your security center, I am honored by that. I am laughing at that, to be quite frank with you. But the fact of the matter is this. Who responds to customers in untruthful ways more? The Notorious Banker or Bank of America? Who instructs people to not trust Bank of America? I do. You know why? Because you say that you should trust Bank of America, and I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it with your actions. Not not on me. Fuck me. I got fired two years ago at Bank of America. I lost my job. And apparently I did something horribly wrong to not work at Bank of America anymore. And I've mentioned that before. I mentioned how I lost my job. And it's stupid. But you know what? I accept it. I'm not holding you accountable for me losing my job or losing amounts of money. In fact, I'm really thankful to not be working in that fucking grind house anymore. Uh, But the fact of the matter is this. People don't deserve the treatment that they get as Bank of America clients. If there's any way I could provide any sort of assistance to anyone who wants to listen to me, I'm going to do so. You cannot stop that. Close my accounts out, I'm going to continue to do it. Threaten me by saying I shouldn't help people anymore, I'm still going to find a way to do it. Because these people need help and these people need assistance more than ever. In a world where you're trying to push them online, when you're trying to push them away from the branch experience, you're actually pushing them into a world that they don't know about, a world that is going to be rife with pressure to send money, 
pressure to send gift cards, pressure to share their online information or even their street address or any of that shit. And you know, that's just wrong. That's the most unethical thing in the world is you have millions of customers who do not want to bank that way, being forced to do so or being forced to leave because you don't want to help them. I may not be able to get to all 66 million clients of Bank of America, 30 million plus at Wells Fargo, but I can help the ones that want to be helped that can find me at Bank Better Guy on Twitter. They can find me at patreon.com slash notoriousbanker. That can find my podcast. That can find any method of contacting yours truly. I'm going to be there for them. So Bank of America, you have a friend in me. You really do. I... I respect I respect the hell out of you in one sense. You hired me 15 years ago, and you gave me employment for 13 years. That that shows a level of trust that not a lot of people get in this crazy world. Sometimes it's like when someone you know is married to someone for 15 years and they get divorced. Yeah, they may hate their guts, but there's a point in time they loved them and they want they want to love those moments that love was actually possible with them and all that. I respect Bank of America for hiring me. But I do not respect Bank of America for the way that they treat their customers. So um, we're at a we're at a, a fork in the road here. I can I can be blindly loyal to the place that signed my paychecks for many 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 years, or I can do what you taught me to do, Bank of America, and that's do 360 degree coaching. Whenever I see something wrong, I call it out and I coach. Whether it's a former boss or whether it's a former coworker or whether it's someone I've never met before but they work for that company, I'm going to teach them how to be better bankers. I'm only doing what you taught me to do, Bank of America. And um, although you may not think that I care, I care and then some because, damn it, I'm still a customer. Damn it, I was an employee for a long time. And damn it, I put a lot of people into Bank of America as customers through my hard work and efforts. And I work like hell to protect them from the likes of people who are very crappy workers at Bank of America. And although I'm not there as an employee anymore, I'm still going to be there as an advocate for these people who need help any way that they can. My name is James, the Notorious Banker, and I'm not going anywhere, my friends. Trust me. JamesTheNotoriousBanker.com, Patreon.com slash NotoriousBanker. Subscribe to my podcast, leave a five-star review. Um... Please contact me if you have any questions, concerns, or comments at Bank Better Guy. You can DM me as well. Uh, 575-322-4127 on the voicemail line. Uh, Three-minute max on there. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out to me. Bank of America, seeing that on Friday made me kind of contemplate the next part of my project. All I want to do is finish my book. All I want to do is get on TV. All I want to do is get into print media and talk about experiences that I've had as a notorious banker, not as experiences I had as an employee. There's a lot of people, you know, with horror stories as former employees at Bank of America. I've been there, done that, bought the fucking t-shirt. I'm done with that. There are real people with real issues with your bank that come to me every single day for help, and I'm here to help them. My question is going to be, are you here to help them? I frankly don't believe that one bit. So my friends, until the next time, my name is James, Notorious Banker. I'll be back with another podcast in a few days, and um, I'm excited for the next week. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun. We'll talk to you very soon. You have a great day. Goodbye.